right, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Buyer's Market Podcast. I'm joined by a special guest today, Patrick McNamee. I pray I pronounced that right because we rehearsed it offline. Did I do okay? Did great. Absolutely. Awesome. Appreciate that. Uh, as you know, with the last name Winklestein, I got to make sure that I pronounce other people's last names correctly, and uh, I'm just not that good at English. So, <laughs> uh, so, so uh, Patrick joins us. He is a um, he is a, a tech sales executive. Uh, worked for some big names in the tech space. Patrick and I have uh, worked together in the past. We're uh, on the uh, the vendor uh, sales relationship. And we've been connected with on LinkedIn for some time now. And this episode actually came about because of a post that Patrick made um, talking about the lack of talent in the sales space and then also talking about educating customers and the challenger sales model. And that was very interesting to me because um, I my thought is that the challenger sales model has to adopt a little bit for today. And I think Patrick will agree on some fronts, uh, but via our message, I realized you know, we're a little bit off. And so I was very interested to have this conversation and record it because I think there's other people that maybe you're in the tech space, maybe you're not in the tech space, maybe you're in our space and you're looking at, you know, how do we sell differently in the digital age? And I think someone like Patrick can teach us a lot, uh, especially these sales executives in these organizations trying to figure out how are we going to sell more digitally. Um, but before we get into all that, uh, we always like to add a little context for our guests and hear their great story. And uh, Patrick's well accomplished, so I I'm excited to hear his story. Uh, Patrick, why don't you tell us how you got into sales? Oh, that's a great question, Nathan. Uh, I'm sorry, Matthew. <laughs> I'm that's Nathan, fair. Nathan can do some editing, creative editing here. Um, yeah, so, you know, my, my, it's not a traditional line of sales. I didn't, I didn't seek my career to be in sales. I guess the career kind of found me. Um, I'm, I'm certainly somebody who's always really enjoyed speaking with people and more importantly, being out and about speaking with people rather than being at a desk, uh, just, you know, pounding away at a keyboard. Um, creativity probably led me into this and, and people began to approach me with, have you ever thought about a career that uh, involves the sales spin to it? I, and I ventured it, I dipped my toes in the water. Man, I, was, uh, I, I got my start in sales in the food service industry, uh, selling broccoli and chicken to restaurants and chefs. And teaching them how to be more analytical with their menus and, and uh, navigating the complex landscape of it's not always about price. It's really more about the value and the partnership that you develop with your, with your vendors. And, you know, the goal there was to be the prime vendor in that relationship and get as much of the share of wallet as you could. That morphed into uh, my interest into taking the analytics piece and getting into data and analytics sales. And I... I took my career in that direction. It was a wholesale change out of door-to-door -door sales and, and into um, account sales uh, across the country, uh, book of business that, that, that had to do with direct mailing models and, and how they were going to increase their, their share of wallet and their customer base by using proprietary algorithms and models against their, their customer files to find more people that look like them. Um, as the budget for direct mail began to shrink and they started talking about it's all our budget's going to digital, I moved into digital sales, and that's how I got into the SaaS industry um, uh, years ago and uh, have worked for some big names. Um, some of it's luck, but most of it has been a direct and very deliberate, disciplined approach to how am I going to get a job at that company? And that's where I find myself today uh, after um, far too many years. <laughs> mm. Really interesting. Um, 
I want to I want to talk a little bit about how even when you are selling something that some people wouldn't view as strategic or where the relationship matters, how you were able to talk about the relationship and how that did matter. But I think there are people that are listening to this that are going to be very interested in how did you deliberately get what what did you do to deliberately get to where you wanted to get to and what can people learn from that if they're trying to take a take their career to the next level? Well, be bold and don't be afraid to fail, right? Realize that you're going to learn a lot during the process and that all those learnings are, they're, they're not negative. They're actually positive and they build out your profile of what you need to be. So, I, you know, if you're going to go for the brass ring out of the gates and, and, and think you're going to get it, you're probably going to miss your mark. You know, every goal has steps associated to it. And so starting, starting out, you know, with a deliberate, that's where I kind of want to end up, but I'm going to have to get my experience and round out my skill sets in order to achieve that particular goal to work for that particular company um, and rise above everybody else. Like look at what everybody else is doing. And are you, are you equal to better than less than? Um, and until I felt comfortable enough that I was at least equal to, and if not better than, I didn't want to take, you know, I, if you look at my resume path, it's not a hop around the world resume path, right? It's spend the time, get the expertise under your belt, and then be very measured in when is the right time to make your next move. Yeah. Um, if you wouldn't, if, if you don't mind, will you, uh, will you share maybe some of the, uh, some of the opportunities that you were able to leverage to get there. Cause I think I hear a lot of confusion about what a good opportunity is where people think a good opportunity is an easy job and all these things. And even inside a company where they view an opportunity as something that makes their job easier. Will you, will you share one of the opportunities you leveraged? Well, look, uh, your network is your best opportunity. You know, there's no doubt that building your network and, and it's look, that's like sales, right? finding out what that company is about, what is their style, where are they going, are you on this for, you know, a, a short-term stint, or are you going for the long haul? Um, but specifically, I, I made a very deliberate uh, behavior practice to use time that I was speaking with people to interview them about the company that they were working for. And then, you know, pulled out of them, what are the things that I need to understand, you know, in particular about what's the model sales representative going to look like for them? What do they need to see? What are they, what are they, what more importantly, what hasn't worked for them and where do they see people failing? And then do I have the skill set that matches that? Um, direct outreach to the hiring manager was another really important thing that helped me uh, land where I am. Um, if you're afraid to, in my opinion, if you're afraid to talk to the hiring manager in a proactive outreach, that's, I think that's a demerit in my book, right? <laughs> you're not doing, you're not doing yourself any favors there. So let them know you're interested. Let them, let them feel your interest. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 uh, and that, I mean, that's a tactic that I use that worked for me. It may not be for everybody, but that's what works for me. That's good. And it, you know, I, can, I, I think I can get a little glimpse into what your sales process is too, understanding how you approach that, understanding what the ideal buyer in this instance is doing and reverse engineering, what the ideal candidate would look like to them. Um, I can already, I can already see your, uh, I can already see how you have nice discipline in your sales. And um, I talk to people that want to get into sales, 
because they're the people that you're in the meetings with and, oh, I really want to do business development. I do business development. It's like get really good at doing the mundane things consistently and you'll be good at business development. <laughs> you got to love to hear the word no. And no doesn't mean no forever. It just means no right now. Yep. Uh, you know, that's, that's, that's actually, I found that to be very like, sage advice. You know? <laughs> um, so yeah, the sales profession is, you know, you, you create your own raises and you're going to get compensated for as, you know, as well as you do your job. Um, yep. You know, I, I, I'd think that, you know, if, if sales folks are coming in and looking for the base uh, salary amount and that's what they're gunning for, then, you know, I, as a hiring manager, have to really question what their motivation is. <laughs> um, you know, I much prefer to hear somebody approach and be like, you know, ideally I want OTE to be X, but OTE is not what I am shooting for. Like that's, that's the bare minimum to me. I, I want to know what the commission structure, compensation structure looks beyond OTE. Do you cap it? Do you limit me in some way, shape or form? Cause I'm going for the brass ring in this <laughs> one. I'm not going to just, you know, hit the mark and stop. Yeah. What's total comp? That's what I want to understand. Right. Well, <laughs> Total comp is unlimited, right? It should yeah. be in the sales profession. If you have unlimited commissions, then your compensation is the sky's the limit. Go make a million dollars. Go make $4 million. Go find the right deals and close them. You'll make that kind of money, right? Yep. Absolutely. But you got to start selling something before you get to that, that large enterprise deal, right? <laughs> I started with broccoli and chicken breasts. So there you go. <laughs> That's perfect. So you brought us right back there. So, uh, what I was interested in when you were describing that is how you were talking about trying to be you know, that trusted advisor for the customer and use those exact words. But um, is that the way the company overall was? Were they Did they view relationships as strategic or did you bring that strategic mindset and you carried that through? In my first role as a, as a food sales representative, yes. no, the company I worked for was um, a very well-respected, still is a very well-respected company in the marketplace. Um, and their mindset was in order for us to win out there, we've got to change how we speak with our customer base and our prospects, our potential customer base. And the way we're going to do that is by bringing value that will earn the business, right? If you're going to go in and you're going to start to talk to them about, I can get you five cents a case cheaper on your, you know, green peas today. If you order through me, what value is that? All right, great. Here's Here's, here's the green beans for you today. And I'll give it to the next guy tomorrow because he'll go five cents under you. The only one winning in that is the customer. But yeah. are you providing value? No, you're providing a low price. So we coached our sales teams and I got into a management role at that company too. We coached our sales teams to, to dig into the business model that we want to help you with is about your profitability and many profitability specifically. So let's yeah. look at how you think about your business or the meals that you're preparing in the back of the house the most profitable and and uh, labor least labor intensive meals and quickest to get out your door, or are you highlighting meals on your menu that you're cutting a margin that's almost negligible? Ninety percent of them come back because it took too long to prep. There's too much food on the plate. Food was whatever it might be. You're highlighting the wrong areas of where you want to drive your customer base. Let us help you create menu profitability. And as a byproduct of that, it's a consultancy. We're just asking that you buy your groceries from us. And if you agree to that sort of a relationship, then we'll have a partnership much more so than a vendor relationship. And, and that's, that's what uh, we taught our sales teams um, 
in, in that in that in my career at that point. Yeah, I I mean I I think that's great. I'm sure your I'm sure your customers appreciated it, and it's it just highlights some of the complexities of sales too, where people probably don't think of it like that, right? You know, selling broccoli and chicken breasts. I'm not worried about relationships. I'm trying to worry about get to the bottom line, and that's right. a misconception I hear a lot about sales. And well, Matt, it's what you know what you and I exchanged a little bit on LinkedIn about last week when I posted my quote unquote rant. Um, <laughs> Is that what people know? are calling it? <laughs> um, I, unless you're thinking nobody wants to buy anything they fundamentally don't i mean they have to buy something because there's a need and you know that's that's lucky for you if they chosen you but how much work did you have to do to earn that 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 potential sale not much they know they need it they know you're the supplier they're going to buy it from you um to me that's that's not sales skills that's you know how to print an order form and process it order takers Order takers, exactly. If we're not coming with a provocative point of view or showing them something that they didn't know, a problem they didn't have, and providing that solution, um, then you're just a peddler of, you know, and in this industry now, just a, another peddler of software. And there's 8,700 of us or something like that that are in this particular marketing space. Uh, forget any other software. Uh, that, that has anything to do with any other process within an enterprise business, but you're just, you're, you know, you're wearing a different shirt and you're located in a different state, but you're saying the same thing. Right? Yeah. What keeps you up at night? How can I help you? I mean, our, that, that just seems like a very tired approach in software sales specifically. I would say in any sales specifically um, in this day and age. Yeah, I, and and that that is something where where we do agree. I, the where I disagreed on your post, and this is where I where we'll get into the challenger sales model is the way I understand the challenger sales model, and it's been a few years. It's teach, tell, or take control are the three main things, and I do believe in the other two. I still believe in the teaching component too. Where I guess my my challenge to that was, hey, you know, how much are how much do you think that sales and business development should really be teaching the customer and how much of that should be more through your marketing materials and through our messages. I think we, uh, we're, what though your explanation, we, I agreed with. So if you wouldn't mind, will you just at a high level just talk about, Hey, what was your post about the challenger sales model, your frustrations about people weren't doing their research. And then we can get into like how we view that slightly differently. Yeah. So really the, it, it was, it spurned from a myriad of interviews, no one particular person at all. Uh, yeah. And interview after interview after interview. And the question I ask is like, okay, so here's your territory. This is it. You got 50 accounts. What are you going to do on day one? How do you decide how to attack your territory? And the common response I get is, is well, I'm going to get online on LinkedIn. I'm going to find out who the contacts are. And then I'm going to start mailing them and saying, hey, I want to talk to you about my product because uh, I think I have a solution for you. And let's talk about what your problems are. Okay. Well, you and 15,000 other sales reps are doing the same thing, right? And so how are you differentiating? How are you setting yourself apart? And so I asked them, you know, like, take me through your discovery process. And it's really, you know, from what I'm seeing, um, it's really rudimentary. It's really basic. It, and look, I'm of the opinion that if you're going to command the salaries and the earnings potential that you want, then I'm going to be looking for the key attributes that, that show me that you're worth that income level, um, more so than somebody who I could teach that to them in two days. 
Yeah. What you just told me. That's not hard. But I want to. I want. I want to see and I want to hear what's the what's the uh, graduate, the postgraduate level skill set that you bring to territory um, penetration, investigation, discovery, tiering, and then further, how are you going to create conversations with the right people? In your, in your accounts. I'm not sure if I answered your question there. And I think your question was more around, it was teach, tell, or take control and, and really more based in, well, are we teaching these people more or are we telling them? And is it a combination of phone calls and meetings and you know the support documentation? I would say it's a combination of all. I think in today's day and age, and I want to speak to the SaaS industry and specifically marketing. Um, we've over time educated our constituency extremely well because this information has been out there. It's mature information. You're not coming to somebody and saying, hey, have you heard of email before? And they're like, never. <laughs> That's not the case. Everybody knows how to buy email and knows how to use an email platform. That's fundamental. Um, so, you know, I think we should assume they know a lot. They know a lot about their business and what their business technology can do for their business. What they, and, and this is where I think a savvy rep will probably perceive whether or not they've done any research in the market to understand this guy, this girl, this individual knows far more than just their particular tech stack. They know about the industry capabilities. So what I need to do is pivot and, and, and drive that conversation into, you know, it, it's certainly not so much educational, but now it's collaborative. Like, what do you agree with that you're seeing in the industry? What do you disagree with that you're seeing? And what, and how does that tie back into your particular business and what the needs that, as I understand them are, and then we come to a, a, a resolution solution together. Now that can be supported through product specialists that uh, you know, are aligned industry strategists, business value uh, assistance to drive ROI value in the, in the investment strategy that they may be having. Um, and, and, uh, and then certainly face-to-face -face with their sales representatives uh, and support crew in the, in the solution engineer and architecture board. And that's, again, that's white papers, that's webinars, that's you know, meetings with, with broader groups to, to deliver value uh, through each of those interactions. But, you, but it's a common, it's, so Matthew, I think it's the, it's a combination. Yeah, I'm, the th I'm, I'm interested in, you know, some of the, I, I can suspect why I think interviewees come with that perspective. I would, I would suspect it's because they're used to getting leads from marketing in a way that, that if that's the only thing they know, and maybe the art form of understanding your territory creating your milk run, doing these things that if you, if you were even, I would say pre-pandemic, like if you were pre-pandemic and even like before that, before LinkedIn really got popular and all your customers were on there, it's, you really had to understand how to do that. And it was a lot of combination of piecing together conversations, not necessarily piecing together LinkedIn posts. You were driving around meeting the right people. And to your point, trying to exhibit value and move up the food chain. Well, we can't walk the halls now. Right. I mean, that's, yeah. it's, it, it really is, I dare say, an impossibility to do because the world has changed in two years. It just has. Yep. And, and I don't think walking the halls in our near future will be a luxury that, that any sales executive is going to have. 
um, at their fingertips. So, and, and dare I say it, LinkedIn has become, you know, the, it is now the, it's a pesky, it's a pesky channel for a lot of the people that we want to get in touch with, right? Everybody used to, and still do, uh, you know, go to the at xyzbusiness.com. And it's like, well, I'm just going to email everybody in the business that I can find. And, and we'll just concentrate on that. Now everybody's moved over. It's like to, to LinkedIn mail and oh, you yeah. blown up on LinkedIn mail as much as you do on your corporate domain. Yep. Uh, and so, you know, now that's a watered down area. So whereas before COVID, I think it might've been a little bit more responsive for our sellers uh, and, and prospectors and business development folks. I think now it's, it's a very um, spammy channel, if you will. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I've seen the same thing. I, you know, I think the, the cold outreach strategy on LinkedIn is, first of all, overplayed by volumetric sales professionals. Um, and then it also has created these situations where people are so reluctant. I think that if you want to try and sell on LinkedIn, it's not through the messenger. It's through you creating content that the customers want to engage with and then forming relationships that way. Yeah, 100%. Like the, the, the content creation and presenting as a thought leader, I think now more than ever is going to, I don't have any, I don't have metrics on this. I haven't done mm -hmm. any research or uh, analytics on it, but in my head, I'm thinking that's, that's where we've got to live. You've got to deliver value to some, to somebody. And you, if you built your network up and you've been judicious in how you're engaging with them and not being disrespectful and you're posting thought leadership that has meaning to your industry, to your company, to your initiatives and their goals and initiatives and their strategies, then you're going to get engagement there and they're going to proactively reach out to you. I'd like to, you sound like what we're talking about. I'd like to engage with you on more of a discussion about this. And really if the, the approach that, that, you know, I coach my sales teams on or forget about, forget sales leaders will probably, you know, some of them will cringe, others will get it. Forget about selling anything right now. Just forget it. Don't, if you're coming in and you're trying to pitch something, when's the last time you walked onto a car lot and wanted to be pitched? <laughs> hey, glad you're here. Uh, anything in particular? Yeah, I'm looking for jeans. Do you guys, sell? no, this is a car lot. I, I, we, you should know why we're here. Um, don't ask dumb questions. Anyway, <laughs> I'm, off I'm off topic there. But yeah, posting content, Matthew, I think is, is that's key, right? You build your trust base, your partnership base by taking the time to do the, the research. Uh, and, 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 and gosh, LinkedIn has a ton of ways for you to track who's looking at your stuff. Yeah. But there's many sales executives that don't, I don't think, um, have taken that extra step to realize hey, I could build a LinkedIn page and actually see who's coming to, to look at my stuff. Yeah. And track how many times I got passed around. I mean, that's your own personal business and it's, my gosh, it's free. Yeah. So build your brand. Do you, uh, so when you, is that something you look for when you're hiring sales professionals? Like because of how it. tough it is? I, I wish I did more of it. I do look at the profiles and I do see if they posted anything. Are they a thought leader? You know, are they putting things out there that, you know, demonstrate their capabilities, their situational awareness, their, uh, maybe not situational awareness that demonstrate their, their, um, 
grasp of the industry and where it is, where it's going, and do they have a point of view? Yeah. Does that have to be the right point of view? I mean, those there's points of views for a reason. They're not facts. They're just, this is my opinion. Yeah. And if you disagree, I'm happy to talk about why or why not. And that's a conversation. Um, it's, a, it's a friendly debate, if you will. Um, and, and by the way, informs you on your next point of view. Right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's nobody knows at all. So the ability to, to look into that and, and learn and then incorporate that in respectfully uh, and, and begin to just build your, your, your body of knowledge is right. That's why people trap. That's why, you know, the best songwriters in the world are like, I need some experiences. I'm going to go see the world and then yeah. I'm going to write some music. Right. <laughs> I need to get off the grid. I quit doing the repetition and I need some more input. I need more data to, to be able to draw from. And that's, that's in, in the sales profession. It's not that much different. You should be hopefully just thirsty for what's, what's out there being talked about that I don't know that can form continue to form my point of view and my approach. Yeah. Thirsty for that tough feedback that most people don't want to hear, but that's, if you find someone that can give you that, I mean, that's your information right there. Right. And that's mm -hmm. what I think there's some benefits in, in social media where some people are more, you got to drown some of it out, but some people are actually more likely to be aggressive on LinkedIn and be like, I don't agree with this. And it's, it's interesting sometimes, but, uh, I think just completely ignoring that, especially if they're in your target audience, is a mistake because it's probably coming from somewhere, even if it's contrary to your point of view. Yeah, well, are you putting walls up out there, you know, a defense wall out there that's, you know, you don't want anybody to climb over? It's like, that's it. That's what I said. That's it. Or are you, or are you putting out, you know, a, a, a net? It's like, look, I'm, I'm going to let some through. Not all, but I'm going to let some through. The good stuff, yeah, you get through the net. Yeah. So you're, you, yeah, you absolutely have to filter what, you, what you're, you know, seeing, reading, absorbing. I, um, I've thought recently, so uh, when I look in my space, you know, architecture, engineering, construction services, I've really looked at B2B enterprise software as a service as that's kind of the model, right? We're not converting anyone on a landing page. It's more complex than that. Like it's not off the shelf. You have to price almost everything because every situation's unique. And yet y'all uh, in B2B SaaS are significantly more advanced than we are in architecture, engineering, construction. And so what I see, and this has been my point of view on our market is it's gonna look more like B2B SaaS. And the the BD professionals and where I am at are, are, the, are the people that drive around. Those are typically the most successful people. And where I think that's gonna change is it's going to be more of marketing, generating that awareness and then through thought leaders, but then the business development's more going to be a closer or um, almost like a shepherd. Like, I'm not trying to sell you anything. I may be informing you to your point. I have, I have to know more about your problem than you do or as much to engage in the conversation. But at that point, I'm not really trying to sell you anything. I'm trying to guide you through the process and be your shepherd. Do you disagree with any of that? No, uh, you know, driving that process. So that, that, that demands transparency and visibility into what is your customer looking at, reading, wanting to understand, and taking the time to, to do that, right? It's like relevant messaging delivered through marketing. That's probably, that's one of the biggest challenges I see and hear when I speak with customers is, you know, sales doesn't trust us. They don't <laughs> think we're really a value at all because we just put a lot of stuff out there. And I think that's by and large a true statement. And I can see why salespeople don't They're like, well, you know, but so-and-so clicked on it. So you need to go talk to them. Well, 
do I? Is is that a one and done instance? Did they, you know, did they? What's the reason behind what they clicked on? What's the engagement level? When are they really truly ready to be passed off to sales? Yeah. And sales marketing and and alignment there is, I think, by and large, really fractured in in most industries, in most yeah. companies. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's uh it's a it's a big issue. Uh and solving and cracking that nut to drive my model is this. I want high paid sellers. Um look, 20% of your accounts are gonna drive 80% of the revenue if you if you buy into that one. I need you paying attention to and in front of the 20% that are ready to talk, not all 100 percent but just the 20. Let marketing provide the air cover through white papers, webinars, in-person events, whatever it might be, blogs, and engage engagement there and monitor for that. And then when you've predictably you know, reached that whatever metric it is that you say, this is where we believe, based on the historical anal anal analytics that we've done, they're ready for a conversation with a sales development person, an actual account executive, whatever it might be. Uh, and here's why we believe that. And you can justify that to the sales team and the sales team experiences the win from that, right? So um, that's the alignment that, that's the ideal, right? That's, that's utopia. You've got that going on. But marketing should be providing a lot of air support, air cover for the, mark, for the sales teams while the sales teams are are closing the leads that uh, that marketing has nurtured along to the point where they're sales ready, MQL to SQL. Yeah, it's uh, if you're relying on your brand to be carried 100% by your sales professionals, you're not you're you're not putting them in the right position, because uh, that that's what I hear, right? It's the brand's going to be out there through marketing. I'm going to focus on the people that are really in that spot or converging to get in that spot. And that's where I'm going to focus my time instead of trying to drive around to a hundred customers and tell them like, Hey, do you know, we exist? Just want to make sure, you know, we're still here. Can you go to lunch? <laughs> well, right. Yeah, there's that. I mean, it's, to use a really relevant example, I don't know if you remember, if anybody remembers when this came on TV, but it was Matt Damon talking about cryptic or crypto. I forget the name of the company. And, you know, those that win are, you know, they, they, they dare or something yep. along those lines. Yep. What the hell is the message of this company? I don't even know who they are. They didn't know. I mean, I know what the name is, but I have no idea what it is that they do. And if I'm a sales rep at that company, it's like, well, you've seen our, our, our company, right? Matt Damon's our spokesperson that, you know, it, it, whoever the target market is, I'm sure is like, what do you do? I know who the name is, but I don't know what the hell you do. Yeah. You know, that's, to me, that's like, okay, that's great brand marketing, but because you recognize the name, the logo, but it's terrible informative marketing. Yeah. Well, and I, and I think that speaks to the fracture of sales and marketing because that, to me, that's the missing piece. Not a lot of marketers have ever even talked to customers, let alone talked to them on a consistent basis. And so when you hear some of the messaging they come up with, it's like, that doesn't, that doesn't make sense. And they don't care about that stuff. Um, right. Well, the, are your marketers doing like, are you getting the feedback in space from your social posts? Are you reading the commentary on that saying this is like, we talked about this two years ago, what you guys are posting is really old news. You know, are you taking what's being said and commented on? Are you, are you understanding what's being consumed by your potential pool out there? And then incorporating that into your marketing, because if you're doing that, you're doing a great job. If you're just outbound marketing and not paying attention to what 
anybody's doing as far as engaging within it or commenting against it, then I think that's a gap that, that should be addressed. Your sales or, team certainly would agree with that, I think. Absolutely. And, and even worse in our space, you have people that aren't even doing outbound marketing. So uh, right. you can imagine how hard that is for some of our salespeople. Um, <laughs> but uh, Patrick, this has been a great conversation. Uh, we're getting we're getting near here to the end. And, uh, you know, I, I'd be remiss if we didn't hit you with the last question you hit everyone. And that's what's your most impactful routine or habit that leads to your success? <laughs> my most impactful routine or habit that's led to my success. Always take your boss's call. <laughs> How about that? Always that's sales right there. Call. Yep. It's probably important. That's the most successful thing right there. <laughs> uh, that's a good one. Uh, so on that note, uh, Patrick McNamee, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, it was great having you. Thanks for engaging uh, as and contributing to the positive culture on LinkedIn where we can have a good dialogue. Really appreciate you coming on. Appreciate it, Matthew. Take good care. Thank you. Bye. Bye.